I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for AAC football, your home for G5 football. We are back once again with another podcast, another episode uh, of the AAC portion. Obviously, I am your host, Joe Broback. That is Dan Morrison. And we move on with both our position rankings and our team previews leading us up to the season, uh, that season that cannot get here soon enough. I am so ready, Dan. Are you are you about as ready as I am for football to be here? I am because right now I've got baseball, which I do like, but it's just not. It doesn't hit the same for me. Uh, baseball, I, like I just can't like. I, I like baseball. Like, don't get me wrong, I like baseball, but it is the most boring sport to watch. So I work from home throughout the day, and I really like to have it as background noise. But that is what it often becomes as background noise. Whereas football, it's something that I can't stop looking at as much. But right now, I even have the Red Sox game muted behind you, so you've got my full attention here. But <laughs> no, uh, I'm not going to say it out loud. But I'm going to say it out loud. The Red Sox pitcher tonight is throwing a no hitter, so we're not turning it off just yet. Well, you know what? If uh, if it gets ruined, it's all your fault. So yeah, we're in the seventh now. If it's ruined, it's because the Red Sox haven't scored yet. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's anyway. uh, let's dive into it. Like I said, football is going to be here before we know it, and it's going to save our current boredom. Um, I take that back. The NHL playoffs are on, NBA playoffs are on, and then if you're really bored, you can go to baseball, I guess. But I uh, don't necessarily agree with that assessment. <laughs> Why not? I, I can't. I first. I just said I like baseball, but no, I can't, I can't do the NBA playoffs. It, that's where I get bored. It's just. Yeah, it's, it's um, not for me. It's not for me. I, I don't begrudge anyone who likes that type of thing, but it's not not my cup of tea. It's it's funny that it's funny that you talk about the the playoffs here at the top level because we've been talking about expansion for so long, and uh, you know. Over half the teams in the NBA get into the playoffs, and not a single person is like, "Oh, we're devaluing the regular season." It's like, yeah. oh, and funny how that works. I'll say, part of my issue with the NBA is that I can't get into the regular season because there's a lot of guys who don't care as the season goes on. Not right, yeah, on a game by game basis. Oh yeah, and again, there's just so many games and so many nights where you're, they're just like, eh, "Not tonight, not feeling it." But it's just right. Yeah, for me. The the resting is probably the biggest issue in the NBA right now. And it's like if you here's my thing. Maybe it's because I like football so much. It's like you there's not a single player that's gonna be like, Yeah, I'm gonna rest tonight because I got twelve other games and I'm gonna play eleven other games I'm gonna play. Yeah, yeah. No, you'd lose your mind if you're someone's someone did that. Your if your teammates like, dude, I'm I'm resting, it's it's Georgia Southern this week. It's like I yeah, uh, hate no. Quick, that's kind of a quick turnaround for me and my knees. I just need them to say, yeah, yeah, it's, it's what it is. I also don't like how many fouls get called in the NBA now. 
for what I consider to be the game's just like light, like to contact. It's interesting. The games are kind of like the entire season. Quarters one through three are just like okay, there maybe is a cool play, but the fourth quarter is really the only one that matters. Yeah, and yeah, it's just like to me, it's like if you're the best players in the world, you should not have to rest. And if you do have to rest because the season's too long, then that it's really easy. Like you just need to shorten the season which i know they're never going to do because so much money yeah the the tv contract goes down if you give them less games so they're never going to do and that's for all these sports because baseball doesn't need to be 162 games either oh don't even get me started on baseball baseball doesn't even need to be like 50 games why did the mute undeal on that i told you i had that dude i'm telling you you're you're gonna mess up this no hitter all right we talked too much about baseball we're talking too much about basketball people are here to hear football so Let's um let's dive right into it. Uh, we're gonna start with the position rankings that we've been doing, and obviously we're now we're on wide receivers and tight ends. Could I have made tight ends their own separate category? Yeah, but uh, it's just more fun to put these. There's also the- so few teams in the AAC that really lean into the tight end position. Well, that's yeah, that's the other thing too. Is just there's so few, and like yeah, I could go into detail about hey, this guy was a former three-star and he went here and he hasn't caught a single pass yet, but they think he's going to be really good. It's like, well, let's put them all with the wide receivers. And short yardage, he'll probably come into block. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, But, you know, I obviously wrote the article. Uh, If you haven't read it yet, you can go find it at underdogdynasty.com, excuse me, uh, and – let us know what you think. Uh, we've done quarterbacks. We did running backs. Obviously, now we're doing wide receivers and tight ends. And when I was putting together this list, the amount of top-tier talent was insane. And I know that a lot of teams in college football like return a ton of production, return a ton of talent. But it was still very interesting to see how many teams had at least two guys that were proven commodities and very explosive uh, options for their offenses. Uh, now, my question for you is, after looking through it, is there anybody that you think is going to move up or maybe even move down? Or do you, yeah. what do you think about with all the depth that there is across the conference? Yeah, I mean, that depth is there when wherever you look, even at a school like USF, where there hasn't been a ton of production in recent years there. You also do know that the athletes that they get just by virtue of their geographic location are talented and have that potential after, you know, getting to the second year of a new system, new coaching staff, of breaking out a little bit. Uh, I mean, I think one and 11, you got right. SMU is the best, most proven wide receiver room in the conference. I don't think there's a ton of debate to that. And 11's Navy because they are Navy and there's no real explanation. I hated there. doing it. It's like saying like, can't like I was just, I just did a podcast on the 10, 12 podcast with the big 12. Yeah. And it was, you know, we ranked the linebackers in the conference and my excuse for my last place team is, well, it's Kansas, you know, and yeah. it's just like it, with Navy's offense is the same way. Yeah. I, like it feels lazy, but I don't think I need to explain to anyone that Navy <laughs> runs the triple option. I don't think the, anybody's the, offended either. <laughs> Yeah, like they run the triple option. The pool of players they recruit from are not the same level of athletes that other teams in the conference do. It's a different way of building a program. Moving on. Uh, I thought Memphis was high at number two. I thought that was – Calvin Austin is very good, but I just thought that that for a full group of players, I thought that that was a little bit – not significantly above where they belong, a little bit. 
uh, Tulsa, I was in a similar boat where I felt just a little bit too high for me. Uh, I thought EC was too low for me personally. I really like CJ Johnson. I really like Tyler Sneed a lot more than, again, I'll go back to like what Tulsa has. Like Keelan Stokes is good. I think CJ Johnson's a better wide receiver when you compare him. I think Tyler Sneed's a better second option. Uh, yeah. And then I'll touch on UCF because uh, I know them pretty well. And you've got them at number three, which I'm not going to argue too much with that placement, but I think they're a very interesting wide receiver room from a several different points of view, but they just graduated a ton of talent at wide receiver. Marlon Williams, Trey Nixon, uh, you know, these are guys that are gone. Jacob Harris was an NFL draft pick. Uh, you know, now they've got Jalen Robinson returning, who we all know is probably the fastest wide receiver in the conference. And then, uh, you sure about Ross. that? Oh, I think so. Do you think he's the fastest? I don't know if he's even the fastest wide receiver on his own team. Oh, I think Jalen Robinson's for the. I think, in a you think he's race, faster he's, than Ryan O'Keefe and Johnny Richardson. Yes. Oh man, that's what my gut tells speed. me. That's what my gut tells me. Okay. I, and I don't have any proof to back it up. I don't like have forty times in front of me or anything like that. Yeah, it's just when I at the stopwatch. No, exactly. I, this is based on what I see when I watch teams play. I see him as an absolute burner but does it translate into Gus Malzahn's new route tree because he's got to have to learn a lot more than just quick screen and go because that's all he was doing last year uh the rumor at least briefly during spring ball was that Ryan O'Keefe was transitioning to that new offense better than he was so I think that's interesting to see if Robinson the presumed top wide receiver on the team is actually that going forward and then they just have a ton a ton of transfers coming in and there's a lot of potential there, but to an extent, it's very wait and see, which I think I always think that's interesting to see who actually steps up. You know, Jordan Johnson, the Notre Dame transfer, he was a five-star wide receiver at one point, and I think that maybe was a slight misevaluation. I think he was a four-star in reality. But it'll be interesting to see at this next level, like or a lower level, I guess you should say. I don't love calling it a lower level, but when the recruits are a little bit lower ranked, if he stands out more than he could at Notre Dame, and then you've got uh, an incoming freshman who I like going forward in Titus McCoy Atamalala. I really may have butchered that name, but I – I think you uh, nailed it. We're going to go with you nailed it. He's Hawaiian, and I think we figured that much out. But I think he's got a lot of potential to be the stud guy at UCF. Maybe not this year, but years to, for years to come down the road. So I think it's a really interesting group of players. He's the guy that committed when they didn't have a coach. Yeah, because Josh Heupel wasn't recruiting those Hawaii players. Those the yeah, Hawaiian players. Josh Heupel didn't stuff. know what he was doing. All right, now that he's gone, we can really <laughs> bash on him. He yeah. ruined Jalen Robinson because he didn't ask him to run a diverse route tree, and he doesn't recruit as well as people think he does. No, if you look at UCF's recruiting rankings during the time that uh, that Heupel was there, it's much much lower than it should have been. Just really upsetting, I think, all around. Uh, moving on, because that's a lot on UCF's wide receivers compared to the other teams. Uh, you know, I looked at Cincinnati, and I like Michael Young, but I feel like their ranking's more tight end than anything else, because that's it's honestly the strength of their roster. And as far as AAC teams, they're the ones who really rely on a tight end. Yeah, it's uh... – there were, here's my struggle with this. So I, the top, let's see, those six, eight, seven, eight, top eight were going to be tough. Bottom three were easy because Navy is obviously Navy. 
Temple has Jaden Blue, and that's pretty much it. Everybody else is unproven. Uh, maybe David Martin Anderson is a guy that you can count, count as a proven commodity. But uh, Houston has Nathaniel Dell, who's fine. Keyshawn Carter like comes from Texas. Yeah, he's fine. I just don't know. Like, here's the thing. They have him and Keyshawn Carter, who are supposed to be their top two wide receivers, mm-hmm. and both of them are under 5'11", which, yes. like – it, you know, Devontae Smith was six foot, 160 pounds. So I guess like the stereotypical guy that you want playing receiver might not be who you think he is, but like, there's gotta be someone that can step up there. Christian Trahan yeah. might be a tight end, but it, it just, those were three the, really easy to put because they're not in the same realm as the other yeah. people. Yeah. And the, the tricky thing when you're all your wide receivers are under six feet is when you get inside like the 10 yard line to trying to throw the ball gets much harder because there's no separation to create there. Right, you're limited in what you can run for sure. Um, USF felt right at eight. Like, it, yeah. like you said, there's like Bryce Miller, Latrell Williams and Xavier Weaver, I, I think can be really exciting. They had really good springs, but uh, we don't really know what they're going to be able to do. Obviously their quarterback plays a big role in that. Yeah. Um, I- yeah, it's going to – I don't know. It's going to be tough to see what they can do just because the quarterback does play a big role and we don't really know who that's going to be. Yeah, it's kind of – you listed them under second tier. They're almost more of a wait and see to me, but I think there's at least athletic potential there. Yeah, for sure. And that's – I mean, that's a reason – Well, so another thing is depth really played a role in my rankings just mm-hmm. because, like, um, SMU – I think the gap between SMU and everybody else in terms of talent – at the top, talent overall and depth is just so much better than everybody else. No, it's tangible, the difference, especially just with what you know. Like, like I, I just talked a lot about UCF. There's a chance that those transfers come in and make a four or five deep wide receiver room. That's scary. But there's a chance that they don't, and we just don't know that yet. We know SMU's got a very, very deep, very, very talented room. Well, and I, I struggled with – so Memphis to me was the clear number two because – Calvin mm-hmm. Austin is the best wide receiver in the conference, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Sean Dykes is going to be one of the best tight ends in the conference. And then Javon Ivory had some insane plays last year. And they also get some transfers, which I don't really try to put too much weight into transfers just because, like, no one really knows. Like, what is the reason mm-hmm. why they're transferring is because they're a former four-star and they actually weren't a four-star and they just couldn't play at their Power mm-hmm. 5 school and now that they're here? Or are they just – looking for a new start they're behind like any alabama transfer you kind of chalk it up to oh they just uh they're behind six other five stars and they're a four star so yeah they got the offer at alabama instead of course they're going there then they got there and realized how many other guys are there right exactly so then with ucf i mean i'm a big fan of jalen robinson and ryan o'keefe but after that, that's where I really struggle. Well, uh, you know, I've been hearing Brandon Johnson is going to be another guy that's going to help. the but Tennessee just, grad transfer. Yeah, that. it's just like I don't know how many of them can actually, like, be who Gus Malzahn I, wants them to be. I think it'll be interesting, and this is a side thing, I don't think you can bet on it necessarily. It'll be interesting to watch Jake Hescock this year because Gus will use the tight end. Heupel had no use for a tight end, and Hescock is a big, like, six seven tight end that – He's using his extra year of eligibility. He was already a fifth-year player, so he's older. He's more experienced, and maybe he gets a little bit more use, and that's a bump, too. You never know. And then Tulsa and Tulane, honestly, I flipped them probably 100 times because here's the thing. Tulsa's ceiling might not be as high as Tulane's, 
but they have four guys that all have super high floors. So yeah. that's I, depth right there. And we just mentioned at USF who's throwing the ball, who's throwing them the ball at Tulsa though. Also true. And I, I think Davis Britton's going to be that guy, but yeah, again, you're right. You don't know who's going to throw them the ball. Whereas Tulane, we know that Michael Pratt's throwing the ball. I, we both like him. Step forward, yeah. Exactly. We both like him. We both think that he'll be a better player this year. With the, I mean, to, I, maybe Tulane should have just been number one because they have Deuce and Fat Watts, and I think that's just one, yeah, two of I the mean, best names in college football. Well, you know, if you got two Watts, do you really even have one? True. So. True. And then no. Jaquan Jackson is another one, another guy for them that's going to be good. And, you know, Michael Jones from Oklahoma didn't have – I mean, <laughs> he, he didn't play very much um, mm-hmm. from injuries and whatnot, but he could be another guy that can step up for them. But I don't know. It's kind of – I'm not really sure. And you're right. Tulsa could be lower. Tulane could be higher. Cincinnati could also be higher. I'm with you. I think Michael Young, because didn't Michael Young come from Notre Dame too? He is a Notre Dame transfer. Okay. Yeah. And he came I out towards the end of the year. playing at Notre Dame. Yeah. No, he'd, be, he'd be legitimately probably the number two or three option at Notre Dame going into next year. Right. And I think his, his success last year kind of coincided with Desmond Ritter's because Ritter struggled early and Young didn't have too many catches. And then at the end of the year, they both were headed yeah. in the right direction. Yeah, they're, there's a comfort level between the two of them. I know that you really love Alec Pierce at Cincinnati too. I think he's super underrated. I don't think he's like one of the best receivers in yeah. the AAC, well, but I don't think well, he gets enough respect for what he does. Cause you throw a 50, 50 ball his way and he's going to get it. Yeah. I mean, that's something like, I think I probably give Tyler Sneed more credit than he deserves. If you're listing them all out, but I just really think he's a, a valuable piece to a receiver room. So yeah, I think yeah. we all have those guys that we think are underrated. I agree. And then two guys that I want to talk about. One is CJ Johnson, who you mentioned before, mm-hmm. and he only caught 19 passes last year. And every time I look at that, I'm like, mm-hmm. how is that possible? Yeah, and as and a he, freshman, he had like 50 something. Yeah, and it, and it, but then you look and he averaged 21.3 yards per catch to lead yeah. the team, and he also led the team with six touchdowns. So six of his 19 catches were for touchdowns. And then the other guy, we're going back to SMU. So Reggie Roberson only played five games last year, really four and a half, if you want to call it that. And so he missed the rest of the season. He mm-hmm. led the team in yards per catch, and he tied the team lead in touchdowns, and he's back. And, you know, we could talk all day just about SMU. Who, you know, they have Rishi Rice, Danny Gray. They get Grant Calcaterra from Oklahoma. And then Reggie yep. Roberson's like, hey, I'm, I'm coming back. So – Tanner Mordecai, really all you have to do is just get the ball in someone's hands and you don't really have to do too much after that. Yeah, no, but you have to go back and hope your defense gets a couple stops. Yeah, that's not something to hope for, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, in general, though, wide receivers in the AAC, it's one of those uh, – it's probably the deepest position in the conference, I'd say. Uh, depth de- – de- what do they say? Death, taxes, and uh, AAC wide receivers being really good. <laughs> I don't know if that's quite what they say. I think that's what they say, right? I mean, I, I hear it all the time, right? Death taxes and Reggie Roberson. Like, I think that's what? what it is. It's a variation. <laughs> I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, all right. Well, now we're going to move on to the exciting part of the episode. And that is our team previews that we're going to continue. So, uh, we've done e- ECU and Cincinnati, and now we move on to the Houston Cougars. For those who don't know, Houston is how I really got my start at Underdog Dynasty. This is a team that I've been covering for a few years now, and it's been quite the adventure. I came on to this team in 2017, so I got to suffer through Major Applewhite for yeah, two right. years. That's like the worst time to start being a Houston guy. <laughs> Coming right was. I well and so here's enjoy the, the slide. I, I was doing like college football blogging for so long yeah. and I finally decided I was like, you know what, I need to like branch myself out. And so then Underdog Dynasty came around and they're like, who do you want to cover? And Houston was available. And I was like, sure, I'll take Houston. And then they've just been um, really atrocious you know i'm gonna look up their record right now since i've started and if it's bad because i'm trying to think about dana holger since he was three and six last year was he like four and eight his first year three and five and seven his first year three and six to three and five last year three and five did i give them an extra loss through and i mean i don't blame you Jeez, this is not good. Uh, maybe I need to stop covering them, and they actually would be <laughs> decent. Yeah, they were three and five last year. Okay, and the year before they were Sorry four and eight. It. So you got that's that one right. Seven and thirteen. Yeah, for and four million dollars a year. And then they were eight and five. So that's uh, yeah. fifteen. You know what and... I just? Not to cut you off, but what just registered to me is Houston's currently paying well over a million dollars per Dana Holgerson win. True. Four million dollars a year. He hasn't gone to eight yet. That's true. Going into year three. That's true. Wow. That's the uh, thing, Stan. That's depressing. <laughs> All right. So what we had we had seven and thirteen, eight and five. They were in twenty eighteen. So that's fifteen and eighteen, and then seven and five in twenty seventeen. Yeah. So like the 2017, 2018 teams that everyone were like, oh, this is the year they're going to be really good and compete with at the time Memphis in the West. And it just never happened quite the way people said it. Oh my God, people Memphis predicted just was it was so, so good. But and I, DR King was on those teams. And right. They should have been, been better. It's so much better. So what, 15, what 22, yeah, 22 and 23 that they've been since I've started. Hmm. So they owe me something here. But, but the, yeah, that's kind of the inherent thing with Houston is they're always going to be able to have talent and they always should be at the top. And I guess figuring out why they haven't been in that time is the real question. Well, and recruiting under Dana hasn't been the best either. So uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should just end the episode right there because that's just uh, – that's <laughs> so frustrating. I, yeah, because I – well, I take it back. I, Houston fans I remember were really, really high – on major Applewhite, or at least half of them were, half of them weren't. And they just assumed that the Tom Herman train was going to continue, even though he wasn't there. And I was just like, uh, I don't really love this hire. I just don't really get it. Rem- and then it Remind just- me, where was major Applewhite before the head coaching job? Was he an internal hire or was he somewhere? He was else? the OC for Tom Herman. He was the OC? Yeah. Okay. I mean, that makes as much sense as any hire you can make would make sense. 
Right, mean, it's not a bad hire. It's just not like where you where you were going. That's not the guy you want. Yeah, that's essentially the Ryan Silverfield hire. Yeah, so just man. I mean, I'm not saying that they're going to work out the exact same way, but that's the right. similar decision then. Right. At least at least Silverfield's recruiting at a high level, whereas Applewhite just couldn't put it together on the field and couldn't recruit mm-hmm. how yeah. people wanted him to. But yeah, so this is already a very depressing episode, and uh, I'm having a fine time. You know what? I'm already bummed about this, but uh, we're gonna pick it up here. So, I think the biggest player, the uh, biggest X factor on this team has to be Clayton Tune. And while there are a lot of factors that are external for him that will determine how well he does this year, I, I think that he is the biggest factor in the success of this team this year because. You and I have talked about this multiple times already, mm-hmm. but now we're, we're on Houston, so we get to dive into it. But Clayton Toon can make a lot of throws. He can make your offense look really, really good. And then he also makes some decisions that makes your offense really, really bad. And while some of them are his fault, there are also plenty of them that result of – they're a result of pressure up the middle right as he gets the ball. And if you're a quarterback, you're not expecting, hey, I have to figure out what I'm going to do a half a second after I touch the football. Like I haven't even flipped it to get the laces where I want them. And now yeah. I have to figure out, do I need to throw this away or do I chuck it up to my guy and hope he comes down with it? Yeah, I mean, la- we were talking about this uh, before we started recording, but last year I really thought that the way they were built at Houston – they should have been able to score almost every single drive. Just looking at the skills players between Stevenson, uh, who is obviously an excellent wide receiver. Then you had Dell, who's a solid guy. And two good, not great running backs that you have to respect up the middle. I, I kind of said, mix that with Toon's ability to run himself, and you have to cover absolutely everything on defense. You can't cheat. So they should have been uh, winning a lot more battles than they were. And it was the turnovers from Toon that were the difference. Now, the question for me going into this year is there's less skill talent around him as far as I can tell, unless some new guy steps up. I don't see a way that Tune shows any noticeable improvement because I don't see the offensive line taking a giant leap forward. So even if it's – say the offensive line's a little bit better, just a smidge better, I don't think that the wide receivers and running backs are better. I think they're a smidge worse. So I don't know – I, I just don't see him doing more than breaking even in terms of what's around him. And yeah, I think you, it's generous to say he breaks even. I agree. And you brought up a good, well, two good points that I'm bringing up next is I just don't know how high the ceiling is for both the running backs and the wide receivers. Like I, I've seen, we kind of know what we're getting from these guys and like Keyshawn Carter comes in from Texas tech, but he's averaging like, 10 yards per catch, which isn't exactly taking the top off of defense. And I mean, yeah, but 10 yards of catch will get you downfield if you can. Right. But who else do they have? Because at a certain point you need to have like, can, yeah. can Dell be the guy on the outside? I, I've seen it, need, but you're going to need him to be consistent about it because I don't think anyone else is, I don't think anyone else is as close to being the guy on the outside as Dell is. Right, and I, I've, I'll continue to say this until the season starts that Houston fans need to just give this is this is really year one for Dana where you can actually judge his program because year one and two were him working with guys that weren't his, and now a majority of the players on this roster are his. 
So now we can really judge like, is this, is his tenure going well and is it headed in the right direction? And unfortunately that going in the right direction might be a seven and five result. Well, I've got a concern about that then because it is, these are his guys at this point. There's, these are the guys uh, in large part who he recruited and he's developed almost entirely now. And he got an excuse for year one because he tried something funky that didn't work out. He got an excuse for year two because of COVID, but you can't have an excuse here and be like something's still not right because the talent's not there to me as far as it. it Houston should always be one of the two most talented teams in the entire conference. It's just no excuse not to be, and they're just not. Right. You have to recruit your area the- better because you the thing with Houston is you don't even have to leave the suburbs of Houston and you can yeah. you can produce a potentially top fifty class in the country. Yeah. I mean that's essentially what Cincinnati since they said we've got a lot of talent right here. Let's just not worry about anything outside of it and focus here. And Houston has not been able to put that wall around the city of Houston the way Cincinnati has under Fickle. And it it shows in terms of when you go up and down the roster and say, but who is actually there to step up? Who can fill these gaps that they have? Jalen Irwin, Seth Green, do you think those guys, their transfers, either one of them has all that much of a shot of producing the way, like filling those gaps? No, well, and the thing is, like, Houston has, like, six tight ends on the roster right now, and I'm like, besides Trahan, like, I don't really know. And the thing with Seth Green is that, he has six career catches. Minnesota yeah. used him as the like wildcat quarterback because he, he came to Minnesota as okay. a former QB. And okay. so this is his, uh, he came to Minnesota out of high school as a former QB or correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah. They recruited him as a quarterback and then they just switched him to tight end because they had their guys and they just used him as this like wildcat. And while he has like 15 touchdowns rushing for his career. So I don't know, like, is you throw him with Mulbacar in the backfield, and I, like that gives me a little bit of excitement, but it doesn't solve the problem on the outside, and that's the biggest thing. And going back to recruiting real quick, mm-hmm. you knew that they were in trouble when they got Ed Oliver to come, and it, they didn't do anything with that under Major Applewhite. They didn't get anybody else to sign with them. They didn't bring any top-tier talent. They just, like, basically – they basically got Ed Oliver and then they just let him fizzle out of Houston. And that, yeah. that's where things were really wrong. And now guys aren't going to go there because they're like, well, they couldn't do anything with the best gift that they've ever gotten. So yeah. why, why would we believe yeah. anything's going to be different this year? Yeah. If you want to know where recruiting's at right now, I just looked up the 24 seven ranking for them. 84th nationally seventh in the conference. And they're sitting in probably the best recruiting zone of the conference, if not. Yep. And they've got more resources than anybody in the conference when it comes down to it. I mean, if you're paying your coach $4 million, he better not be recruiting at 84th in the country, 7th in the conference, especially with the facilities that you have and the talent that's literally in your backyard. The history, no one else in the conference, uh, save for maybe, uh, no, I'd say no one else in the conference has the same quality history that Houston does. If you look at their program, this is a team that in the Southwestern Conference is just producing Heisman Trophy winning uh, quarterbacks. They were going to the Cotton Bowl with some regularity. Uh, you know, SMU was good for a couple of years, but then they went and death penalty themselves. You know, and other teams like Cincinnati, they've had some nice years, but not that much, at least compared to Houston. And they don't have that much 
uh, donor backing like Houston does. Well, Houston won the conference in 2015. So, I mean, while it's yeah, still it's not- early, but like they won the conference. So there's like, we know they can do it. We know they can produce enough guys to make that happen, but it just, I don't know why it hasn't happened, but it just hasn't. Yeah. I don't know. And then you throw in like this off season. So Houston's on its like fourth defensive back coach. They fired – well, they parted ways, mutually agreed to part ways with Joe Coffin, so now they have a new D.C. And then wide receivers mm-hmm. coach Tyrone Carrier, who's, like, beloved in the Houston community, and Houston parted ways. So, like, something's going on, and you have this talent that's unproven, and we're not really sure where the ceiling is, and you have all these new coaches – coming in and it's like, well, is this going to be a successful season? Because there's just not, there's so many questions and not very many answers. Yeah. I mean, I, I think then you look at the schedule and I don't want to jump ahead of ourselves because I think there's still more to talk about. We got to talk about the positives, which surprisingly is going to be on the defensive side of the ball this year. I like their defensive ends a lot. If you want to, start there <laughs> let's go in yeah let's go in there because i i'm right there with you i think DeAnthony jones is going to be a stud and i think that yeah. they i'll let you go into it a little bit more but i think yeah. they have a lot of talent on that part yeah. of the defense yeah i mean i think a lot of people at a glance would go oh now you're replacing Peyton turner grant stewart the defense is going to take a pretty realistic step back and i can see that point of view but i think there's guys like i really like Derek parish to replace Turner, maybe not to the same level he was at, but I think he's a very capable, strong defenseman. I think people don't realize last year, Houston was number two in the conference for sacks. This is a team that forces a lot of pressure, and that's going to help you a lot winning close games, especially against, a, you know, say a Tulsa team that's going to have either a new quarterback or an inexperienced quarterback. Uh, getting to him and forcing him to make mistakes prevents him from gaining the ball out to – that deep wide receiver room we were just talking about a little bit ago. I think that's real important for them that they get that going. And plus it helps out your corners in every single game that they don't have to cover on an Island for four or five seconds. Yeah. And coach Brian early is that. So going back to the coaching staff real quick, coach Mm -hmm. Brian early is the best coach on this team right now, at least at Houston, you you can make the argument for Dana and what he did in West Virginia. That's fine. But right now, Brian Early is the best coach on this team, and the work that he's done with some of these guys is proof of that. And the problem with that, though, is that some Power 5 program is going to see, hey, this guy gets the most out of his Mm -hmm. talent. He did the same thing at Arkansas Mm -hmm. State. Now he's doing it at Houston. So next year you could be without your defensive line coach. Yeah, he'd be the Texas Tech D-line coach or whatever. Oh, gosh, yeah. And this is – I mean – no, but but that's a good thing, though, because that means you're getting your players coached up while you're getting them developed well, and you just have to accept that if your coaches aren't turning over, you have bad coaches. So you want that problem. You know, yeah, that's true. In term, you're, there's going to be a problem either way. You just have to hope that Dana can make another good hire there. One guy that I'm really excited for this year is Latrell Bankston from Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, He was in a situation where – there was just a lot of depth at Iowa state and he just wasn't getting the reps and now he gets that shot. And after watching a little bit on him, it's just like, this guy's going to be a problem in the AAC. Yeah. You know, I think that he's going to give a 
he's going to help make that team just a little bit more well, uh, if I can learn how to speak well-rounded on that side of the ball. And that's honestly, unfortunately, what I think Houston needs to do is become a defense first team because I don't think the offense has it in them to win shootouts the way, say, we were just talking about ECU last week, the way ECU is going to win shootouts. I think they're the opposite because I don't think the offense can hang with a lot of the good teams in this conference. Right. Yep. I agree. And the defensive line is probably the deepest group uh, of this team. And they're going to be, I think, obviously the strength, you obviously agree. Uh, even on the inside, there's talent to be, to be had there. You know, Chidozi Nwankwo is solid. I don't know if he's going to be suspended this year. He had some off-field stuff going on, but he and Latrell Bankston will be two of the best interior defensive linemen in the country mm-hmm. uh, if they're able to play together. And if you go back a level, I the thing is more questions at linebacker. Donovan Mutant is very underrated. He's a hard hitter. I think he's very underrated. Um, he's solid. But then you know, like Grant Stewart is great. I love Grant. His hustle is unmatched by anybody that I've seen outside of Ed Oliver. But he's defensive back through and through. And I don't know if this is the whole point of the defense because you had him and then Manny Nunnery was his backup. And then this year you put Deontay Anderson, a former safety, a former Ole Miss transfer. He's listed as linebacker. And then Giovanni Stewart, who's five, nine, a buck, nothing is also listed as a linebacker. Now, I don't know if that's they no. technically call him a linebacker because he's – You think it's more of a rover position than a linebacker? Yeah, he's like playing in the slot. So I don't know if that really counts as a linebacker. But I, you have basically two defensive backs – playing a linebacker position so i don't know what's going on there or what the yeah i mean if i had to take a stab in the dark because i don't know what the decision there is with those guys as it is probably a one of those modern defensive positionless player moves that they've decided to do with the guys you know have them play mostly in coverage but come inside hard when they feel there's a run coming something like that uh and that's something you see a lot with teams nowadays but it's not necessarily something that you want the five nine guy to be doing you'd like to have him closer to six foot still uh but you know what do you think of marcus jones though in the secondary because i, I like him i think well obviously as a returner he's phenomenal he's yeah. one of the he, he's arguably the best returner in college football you can make yeah. that argument for sure as a defensive back he got so much better as the season went on like i think he was solid when he came to houston and then once he once he got acclimated to the talent level that he was seeing, he improved so much. Mm-hmm. And it helps having uh, Demarion Williams on the other side. I mm-hmm. think Demarion Williams is one of the most underrated players in all of college football. I mean, if you can go back to when they played Oklahoma, he was covering C.D. Lamb. And while C.D. Mm-hmm. Lamb had some plays where he beat him, there are also plenty Lamb. of plays – well, you're right. Like, CeeDee Lamb made a lot of guys look bad. But Demary Williams made a number of plays against CeeDee Lamb that were very impressive. And I think that people are just sleeping on him. So that helps on the other side. But, yeah, Marcus Jones is solid. If both of them can stay healthy, I think that Houston is in good hands. And, honestly, no offense to Sean Lewis, but I, I can't have Sean Lewis on the football field and expect Houston's defense backs to be successful. He just oh. – you, you know, Sean Lewis is, is, I'm sure, 
a great nice guy. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure he is, but please do not put him on the football field anymore. I just, it's just, I, I don't know who you're going to put out there. If you have to put Jace Rogers, who is going to try and take someone's head off every single play, or if you're going to put Art Green out there, I, I don't know. DJ Small, it's, I just can't have Sean Lewis out there or I'm, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the issue with Houston's defense to me is there are a lot of nice pieces on it, but then there's just one or two pieces that don't click and the whole defense falls apart from there and lets up where they get exposed. They get exposed in this extreme way. And then the big plays come and it snowballs on them. Because even last year when they had guys like Peyton Turner, who was a first-round NFL draft pick, it's not like they were stopping a ton of people consistently. Nope. Nope. Definitely not. So so I think I can look at the defense and be like, I really like a bunch of these players. I don't know that I'm uh, convinced yet that's a good defense, though. Well, that's what we were saying before we started recording is, is like, I like a lot of these guys. I just don't know. One, is there enough depth to sustain that success? And two, are the guys that I like actually as good as I think they are? Yeah, I think that's the question. And like we were just talking, again, talking about that comes down to Dana. These are the guys you recruited. These are the guys you develop now. If they're not as good as the, you know, players at SMU, that means that Sonny Dykes is doing those things better than you are. You know, if they're not as good as Memphis, that means Ryan Silverfield is doing those things better than you are. And that's an issue at Houston because you're paying him $4 million a year to be the best coach in the conference, not to be the seventh best coach in the conference, not right. to be the seventh best team in the conference. Right. Well, and it's also fine too, if, if your defense is the strength of the team, but Houston also brought him in because he knows a thing or two about offense. And if you can't show that you, yes. that, that's well, the biggest thing that fans are. I, I, I here's the thing. I've been the optimist for Houston's mm-hmm. fan base for I've been one of them, I should say for a while now because people are like, well, two years, nothing's happened. Let's get him out of here. But I trust in what Dana does because he, I mean, Houston right now is basically what West Virginia was in the big 12 when he started there, when he was doing that there. And he mm-hmm. found a way eventually to get them to where they needed to go. You yeah. Know. Will Greer. Let's be honest. Well, it started. It then. started before that. It was. It was when he had Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, oh. and Stedman Bailey. Now, is there a trio like that on this roster right now? No, I don't think so. But he's done it before. So I and now he's now he's in the AAC, which people will make an argument that the Big Twelve is better than the AAC, and I'm not going to argue against that. But Oklahoma is better than anyone in the AAC. I don't know. That's a deeper conference, though. Right. But it's just, yeah, so it's, uh, he's done it before. He's, he was able to make West Virginia a potential, like, he brought them to the conference. Well, did they have a conference championship at that time? No, they did not. They were close to being conference champions when they had Will Greer and they had David Sills. Against Baker Mayfield, right? That game. Or was that Kyler Murray? It was it, Kyler it was, Murray. It was Kyler Murray. A 59-52 game. Yeah, it was like a, one of the better games of the season. Yep. Yeah, so that's like I, – I know he can do it. It's just I'm really having a hard time finding – you know what, this is a perfect transition. Doing it. Right, it, it, here. And this is really a perfect transition because, you know, we talked about the, the 
defense now. And I, I, like I said, I trust what he can do. But when I look at this schedule, it's tough for me to find upsets. There are games that I'm just like, yep, Houston will win that game. I have no problem yeah. betting on that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I tend to agree with that thought, though, is that when I look at the schedule, I my gut says, oh, you have to win seven games minimum, and you should be able to find a couple more. But at the same time, I can't tell myself that that's an eight and four football team when I look at it. Right. Well, and there's yeah. a number of games too, n- namely the first two. Um, and we'll talk about this. There's a number of them that I'm like, yeah, Houston should definitely win that game. But at the same time, I also think I wouldn't be surprised if they lose that one. I agree with that too. I think, I think if you made the, like look through the schedule now though, they should be favored in seven games. And things change as the season goes on. Players get injured. I think they should be favored in seven. Here, I'll go through the list. Of games uh, okay, there. I see. I see seven too. Well, let's just go through it. So we start. We start obviously with the Texas Tech game in NRG Stadium. Why that's in NRG Stadium, I'm not sure. But I, because why play a home and home when you can play at neutral sites? <laughs> the problem too is like. The last time they played that Houston played in NRG Stadium was against Oklahoma back in 2016, and that atmosphere was bonkers. That was yeah. one of the craziest. I was at that game, and it was one of the coolest experiences that I've had at mm-hmm. a, at a game, a live game. And I just don't think that it's going to be the same. Maybe uh, that, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I guess I'm not as in tune with that region of the country in terms of the fan bases, but. Is there any chance Texas Tech comes and travels the way Oklahoma fans do? Well, the thing is, both fan bases can be super passionate, or they are passionate. It's just a matter of can the team produce enough excitement for them to show that to a certain degree. And like at the, the Houston game against Oklahoma, there were definitely more Houston fans there, and that's a big stadium. It's it's not like uh, TDECU Stadium where there's – maybe 20,000 fans there. Like this is a big stadium. There are at least 30, 40,000 Houston fans. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know if they're going to even like, if they put everybody in there and put them in the lower half, I don't know if they even fill up the lower half. I don't know. Yeah. That'll be rough because frankly, Texas tech's not good. Well, that's why I, I think, think it's that... a big game for them too, because if they win this game, like not that that changes everything, but that's a that's a good win to build your confidence and get the season going. Yeah. Well, yeah, you get to say we had a Power Five win. It's an old Southwestern Conference uh, game, uh, and you can kind of get the ball rolling from there. Because assuming they beat Texas Tech, it's Rice scrambling State Navy, and that's a four and zero start, or at least it should be hypothetically. Rice is a lot better. I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on Rice. Oh, that's one of those games where I'm like Houston should win this game every single year by a score of fifty to nothing. But because of the talent they haven't been bringing in and where Rice is going, I think this is a game that they might struggle with, especially if they lose the Texas Tech. I'm not excited to see what happens if they lose the Texas Tech. Well, if you think they're going to struggle with Rice, then I have to correct some of the places I thought they were going to have wins. Well, I don't think they are. I'm I just saying there's a possibility. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a possibility that Grambling gives them a game that they don't want to be in. You know, well, Dana, Dana's gone if that happens. 
Well, yeah, you can't lose your FCS games. But no, I mean, I don't see a world where Rice should never be on the same field as basically any team they play. They just shouldn't. The way that they run their program, the way that they recruit, the way that they're built, it's just, it's not reasonable to be like, all right, well-earned 24-21 win over Rice guys. No, that's a bad thing if you're in a close game with them. That's not a momentum builder. Um, which leads me to this point. So Houston doesn't leave the, their city for until the month of October. And a 4-0 start, normally like in the last two uh, episodes that we've had, we've talked about how a 4-0 start for both ECU and Cincinnati, like that's huge for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not super convinced that a 4-0 start really does anything for Houston just because like beating Texas Tech is just eh. And then beating Rice, Grambling, and Navy is also just, I don't yeah. know. No, I, I agree. They're, they're kind of eh wins. But then when you look at the back half of the schedule, so I'm going to skip the two games at Tulsa at Tulane. I'm going to skip past homecoming against East Carolina and then SMU, which is a home game for them. I Those games we could talk about a little bit, but I want to point out at USF at Temple two road games that you're absolutely supposed to win if you're Houston this year. And that really helps make the schedule a lot easier that those are on the road, which means you get harder games like SMU at home, you get Memphis at home, and then you end the year at UConn, which again is a joke of a team to be playing. So that's three more wins you should have after you should start four and zero. that should be seven wins. And that's a bowl game. And that's in my opinion, a very successful year for Houston, even if they, can't find a win in any of the other five to get them to what's a very respectable eight and four record. Right. They also know UCF, no Cincinnati. Which is huge. And I think very that easy, makes very, very easy schedule. Right. Yep. And that's helpful to avoid them. And I would make the argument that that's two games. So that there's two sets of two road games in a row, the one against Tulsa and Tulane. And then you mentioned it, USF and temple. Mm-hmm. And I think that two losses against Tulsa and Tulane would affect this team more than four wins to start the season with. Well, I think they're losing both those games. So, I... Which I agree, but I just well, – uh, uh, that's just like I that think... worries me because then you go into so, a bye week me, and then you have to finish the rest of the season better. To me, the trickier game more so than those two road games because you do have that bye game to reset yourself. The trickier game to me is East Carolina. Because if you lose that, that's homecoming. You lose that, you're going to have to do a quick turnaround. And then next week, you've got SMU in town. And that's not a game you want to be in the wrong headspace for. Right. And you can't look ahead. You can't look past ECU this year. No, because we were just talking about how good that offense is. If the Houston defense doesn't click the way uh, you're hoping that they do, that offense can't keep up in a shootout. Yeah. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah. Uh, at USF, at Temple, those should both be wins before we start the season. But if everything clicks at USF, they find a quarterback, you might have to move that to a loss at the same time. Right. Temple, I don't think that there's any reason why anyone's losing to Temple this year. Unless Rod Carey hits on like 75% of the transfers that he's bringing in. Yeah. We'll get to Temple one of these days, but I don't think that he's doing that. Yeah. Uh, Memphis still lose too. And then you go to a UConn team that hasn't played since 2019. So you, I mean, it's the end of the season at that point, but still, you know, I I just, I don't see how you don't make a bowl game. The schedule is so easy. 
And at the same time, as a Houston fan, that should feel like a win because you're coming off two straight losing seasons. But it may be a very frustrating, upsetting season, even if you do win those games, because I think they're, in terms of talent, not as good as they were at the, in the last year of Major Applewhite. Okay, here's my question for you. We did this last time, too. Um, I think we did it for Cincinnati, too. So what is your ceiling for this team, record-wise? Nine and three. And I assume first four games are wins. I, then, yeah, I give them the Tulsa, Tulane, ECU. I give them two of the three as a possible wins. I don't think they'd win all three, though. Then, I, yeah, USF, Temple, UConn is definite wins I have down. As of right now, times can change. Do you think Memphis is a, a loss? I think Memphis you can write as a loss. Put in the pen. You know, now you say that, the more I think about it, the more I agree. I think there's a slight chance for an upset. And while I do think Memphis is headed backwards a little bit, I don't I, think, I think they take – gap. Yeah. So, yeah, I think 9-3. and three, At first I was thinking 10-2, and two, but, yeah, 9-3 and three is definitely the ceiling. And now the scarier part, and I'm almost afraid to even ask this, but we're going to because we're going to just do this with everybody – what is the floor for Houston this year? Because that's that's what really scares me. Is I'm trying to decide between four point uh, four and eight and five and seven, because uh, I'm going to go with four and eight as the floor. Who do they beat in that scenario? UConn, Temple, Grambling, Rice is who I'd have them beating in a four and eight season. I'm gonna, I would oh, man. Okay, so. Obviously, they can lose to Texas Tech. I think, honestly, if I'm being completely honest with what my gut tells me, I think with where Rice is headed, I think they could lose to Rice, which would be a disaster scenario. Yeah, you you start 0-2, and, and you have to consider moving on from Holgerson midseason and just ripping the Band-Aid. Right. Because that at that point, to those two teams, one and one you can say is a tough one. Maybe Texas Tech's getting better, but... Losing, going 0-2 to start the season, you just have to accept the fact that Dana's not – he's stuck in neutral at best. Yeah, and again, I don't think this is going to happen, but I'm not ruling out the possibility that 3-9 and nine is going to happen where you only beat Grambling, mm-hmm. Temple, and UConn. And the more that I think that, the more I'm thinking that's definitely not going to happen because – I think that's doomsday. That is doomsday because that means that you're just beating teams that are horrible – and you can't beat anybody else. And I yeah. just I don't think that Houston is at that point. So I guess that's that's maybe worst case scenario. So I mean, technically that's the floor, but I think a more realistic floor is yeah, four and eight, five. I, I'm gonna say five and seven just because if like even if optimist. Houston is is kind of yeah. bad, like they should still win five games. And I agree with that. I again I think they should win seven games if we're actually getting into it, but uh yeah, I look at the USF game as a really tricky one to tell, at least uh, as of right now, if they played week one, I'd have it as a definite Houston win. But USF last year, they scared UCF, they scared Memphis, they showed flashes of potential. And you, if they've got their legs under them by midseason, you're in trouble if you're Houston, at least in the scenario that we're playing out here, a worst-case scenario. Yeah, it's there's a lot of uncertainty and I, th- I think that there has to be – well, let me ask you this then. What is a record that 
Houston has to have where you would that you would feel comfortable saying like, okay, Dana has them going in the right direction. Is it seven and five? No, it's better than seven and five because with how weak the schedule is, I think you have to win seven games. I think that's just a baseline number. So seven like and five I, is like he's not on the hot seat. Seven and five to me, he's in the same spot next year as he is right now. He okay. do, it doesn't change for me in terms of my perception of what he's doing at Houston. But I'll give you uh, a kind of cheap out of the AAC uh, example at UMass. I think they really need to win at least two, probably four games next year. And it won't make me think they're any better than they actually are, but they have two FCS games, UConn, New Mexico state. They should win those four games. They should. If they win those four games, it doesn't mean I think highly of UMass football. And they had, it doesn't mean I think they had a great year. It means they played a really bad schedule and they won the games that they just physically should be the better team than because they actually played football in 2020. They're not an FCS school. These are the things that you should be able to uh, accomplish. I think seven five is what Houston should accomplish. If they get to give me the seven wins that they absolutely have to have in my book, plus one of the other games, Tulsa, Tulane, ECU, SMU, Memphis, give me one, give me to like eight and four. Like, give me a couple extra conference wins. I'm, that, that's what I'm I'll have a couple upsets. Yeah. If you get to eight and four and you've done it because you beat Tulsa at Tulsa because you upset Tulane, and, you know, then I'm going to give you, say, okay, there's something that's starting to click there. But, you know, otherwise you're just breaking even. Yeah, I think I agree. I think, yeah, seven and five, we're kind of in the same situation because I – there are some Houston fans who think that nine, they have to win nine games for them to feel good about Dana, but I think I, I can understand wins. that feeling though. If you're a Houston fan, though, well, with four years of being just average or bad, you like I get it. And and again, because you know what talent Houston has access to compared to say Tulsa or Tulane, they don't have the same access for various reasons. Uh, you feel like you have to win those games, but I don't have them down as winning those games. You think about, you know. ECU is a team that you have to be able to beat even, but they're on the rise. So that might not be as easy a game as a lot of Houston fans want it to be. Yeah. It's, it's not as simple as it seems, unfortunately. And I, I agree. You should be recruiting better than a lot of these teams. I mean, Tulsa's not, this really means a ton, but Tulsa's the third best team in their state. And <laughs> Tulsa doesn't recruit particularly well either. No, there's it. no reason why they obviously have a ton of talent, but th- that's why the, the Tulsa game seems more like a coin flip to me now because they lost two, oh, yeah. you know, the last four big names, essentially. Three of them are yeah. on defense. So that's, that's the only thing that I have where I'm like, uh, maybe. Yeah. Well, yeah, for what it's worth, I do think Tulsa takes a step back this year. I just think that they're – a better rounded team. They're a more physical team. I think that they'll at home be in a, at least should be favored when we're talking right now. I don't think it's impossible. Houston wins that game by any means. Yeah, I I agree there. And it's, I don't know. It wasn't today. Wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really sure how this was going to go. And I think I'm still in the same place. (laughs) I'm not really sure how it's going to go. I, I have op- optimism to think that there is a chance that this team takes a step forward, but I'm also not going to be every year so far. I've been like, Oh, well Houston's going to win 
eight or nine games and every year that I predicted whatever they've won less than what I predicted. So maybe if I just predict they'll lose every single game, then maybe it reverse. Then it's the balance of like fans think that you're being pessimistic and think that they don't like, you don't like their team, mm-hmm. but really it's like, I don't know. It's maybe no, I'm it's, the problem. So uh, who knows? Uh, it's not that you hate Houston. It's that you are a realist sometimes. I think that's what you have to try to just be is just a realist and not worry about that's, that's is too pessimistic. Because like I said, it might sound like an optimist say UMass should win four games this year, but I think it's a realistic thing that they should win four games this year. And that sucks to say because that really, really puts you on a limb when they go and win one. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, we, uh, you know, we <laughs> – we talked about a lot today, obviously. Uh, Houston's a very intriguing team, to say the least, whether that's good or bad. And it'll be interesting to see what Dana Holgerson can do because I think a lot of people have doubts about where this program is headed. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a good chance for him to prove everybody wrong and show that Houston is actually headed in the right direction. I, mm-hmm. You know, There are pieces that we both like. We talked about it, and I think that there's a chance that – other pieces step up as well, but we're trying to temper our expectations, temper our excitement and just let the season play out before we go over the top. Yeah. Uh, next week uh, we are on to Memphis, one of Houston's rivals there. So that'll be uh, another team that's very intriguing. It'll be interesting to see what you have to say about them. And we can share our yeah, opinions I've, about where they're headed. Yeah. I've got to go do a deep dive on Memphis because I don't. I think there's a lot more turnover there than people realize. I have to go figure out their roster. Yeah, seriously, it's uh, there's a lot of change going around the Memphis program right now, and it's going to be a, an interesting season for them. Uh, in the meantime, if you aren't following Dan already, you can follow him at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can follow me at Joe Broback. And in the meantime, uh, go Cougs.